Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. We rejoice in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a very special joy that we as a congregation can be blessed and ministered to by those who play the instruments and those who sing, and uh, what, a, what a wonderful celebration of the goodness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's my joy this morning to preach the gospel to you from the book of the letter of uh, 1 John, verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bible, you can open there. I think we also just printed these four verses in the bulletin so that you can look at it along with me as I try to explain this in a way that shows you who Jesus is and why he is real life and real joy for us. Now, as we prepare to read God's word, let's uh, ask God to open our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look into your word, May the book live to us. Show us ourselves in this living book. Show us our need in this living book. Show us our hope in this living book. And more than anything, show us yourself, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so let the book live to us this day. Amen. Amen. First John Chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our Lord Jesus is named in verse 4 of this text. You see it. It says that the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. But Jesus is called by another name. Oh, how many names are there for Jesus? He's called by another name in verse 1. He's called the that which is from the beginning. And also in verse 1, he's called the word of life. And then this text, helpfully, like several texts in the Bible, it lays out why it's there and what's the point of it. And you see that in verse 4. John says, this is why I'm writing. He says right there in verse 4, this is why I'm writing so that our joy may be complete. And our joy simply means the one speaking and the ones reading or listening, so that both of our joy may be complete. What does complete mean? Well, that means that I want to preach to you this morning about a joy that isn't a Band-Aid, and it's not a mask of a phony smile over pain that's never taken away. It's not a temporary distraction. It's not something that's evanescent and pops away, but it's eternal and it lasts. That's what it means to have complete joy. Well, how do we get that? And is that even just like a, some sort of dream and a wish? And I think it's kind of like this. What's offered in verse 4 is so good, what's offered in verse 4 is, so to speak, too good to be true, and that's why, remarkably, verses 1, 2, and 3 are just, they're, they're just uh, packed in with 
thoughts of how realistic it is. Did you see how the, all, this, all this language of how real it is? He says, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've looked upon it, we've touched it. That's why John is saying the life and the joy that I'm offering is not just a religion and it's not just a message. It's not just a point of view. It's an actual person who lives and who we touched and who touched us in return. You see, it's so real that in verse 1, you see verse 1, it's, he says, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've looked upon it, and we've touched it. And then he says again in verse 2, it's manifest, it's seen, it's testified, we proclaim it. And then he says again in verse 3, we've seen it and we've heard it. No less than 10 or 11 expressions in these opening three verses about the tangible, visible, real, authentic, actual nature of this joy. When Christ came, every song that we've been singing is about the arrival of Christ among us and with us. When Christ came, we could finally not just say like everybody in the Old Testament said, we, we, we believe God, we worship God, we know about God. When Christ came, John was able to say, we touched him. Not only did we hear him, not only did we see him, but we touched him because he was and is one of us. Touching in John's description is the conclusive proof of the actual historical verifiable reality of Jesus who is the one who offers without fail a joy that is complete. And the joy that he offers is as real as he is. That's why this text is at such, such pains to declare how real Jesus is because of how real the joy is. And that's what we gather to celebrate. That's why all of the instruments and all of the voices, that they, 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 they can't possibly measure up to the kind of thanks and the kind of praise that Jesus deserves. Jesus is the greatest subject of song and of praise because Jesus is the, the provider of the greatest light and life and joy that, the, that, that humanity could ever know. Jesus is so good. There's a, there are a lot of people in this church who try to read through the Bible once a year. Jesus is so good that we're always going to be like the, like the, uh, the elderly lady who just finished reading through the Bible for another year, maybe her 58th time going through it. And she says, without, without uh, any dramatic flair, she just says it because it's real. She says, I, I, I think I know more about Jesus now than I ever did before. And I'm just beginning to glimpse how much more of him there is to know. Somebody once said that as the island of our knowledge grows, so does the shore of our ignorance. Well, that's true of Jesus. That's true of Jesus. He, he, he's, better. he's better 
than we'll ever exhaust the knowledge of. And that's why John is so sincere and clear to say we touched him, we heard him, we were with him. The, the joy that I'm offering you is not just a wish and it's not just a band-aid. It's actual and verifiable because we find it in him. John writes this probably as a very old man. And when he says in verse 2, uh, he appeared or he was made manifest to us, He's writing as, as one who was there with Jesus. And uh, when, when John says there that Jesus appeared to us, and he says it in the past tense, that's because John was there at the cross. And that's because John was there, the first one there, at the empty tomb. And John was there when Jesus ascended, promising to return. All this because John's understanding and he wants us to understand how real Jesus is and what is the life and the love that Jesus offers us. This text is not a philosophy kind of about God's love. And this text is not just sentimental penmanship of religious well wishes. In this text, John is saying, um, I... I had an actual encounter with Jesus which changed me and filled my life forever with joy. And now I am declaring that to you because I want the same for you. That's what every Christian does. That's why the mission statement of this church is making and training disciples of Jesus who will make and train more disciples of Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it all boils down to. You know that concept of uh, boiling something down Day before yesterday, uh, I made a big pot of chili. My hands probably still smell like it, even though I've washed them 18 times. You know, just c cutting all that stuff up, and and uh, when I make it, I keep the lid off of it, and and I boil it down, because you know, boiling it down get, gets rid of the excess liquid, so that it's just it's just what you want in there. When it comes to knowing. Jesus, even when it comes to the way that John is writing here, I think there's something to the fact that human hearts, your, your heart, my heart, they can be boiled down to uh, what we would call first principles, the bedrock of what we really believe about ourselves and the world. What are those first principles? Um, so no matter what's going on in life, you're always trying to figure things out and you're always trying to make a better choice. Your first principles are those principles that you don't even think about. They're the principles that you use to try to figure things out and make better choices. That's what your first principles are. You don't sit around and sort of philosophize about your first principles when it boils down are the principles that you use to acquire more knowledge and to make better choices. They're the assumptions that are, that are so automatic and authentic that they're just the ones that you run with. What John is saying, what I would say, honestly, from my heart, is that my first principle is that Jesus is and that Jesus is good. I see everything through that now. 
Now that I'm in him, now that I know that he died for me and rose again for me, that's my first principle. When, it all, when it's all boiled down to, that's what it's it. That's, that's where it is. And so John's trying to relate that to us. Look at how he says it in verse 2. The life was manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The us is John and his fellow disciples. They didn't read a book about it. They were with him. They experienced it. They saw it. And the account that they gave was recorded faithfully so that, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Very important, that change of pronoun from us to you. We proclaim it to you. Everything that precedes that, the, the, the main verbs in these four verses, the, the main verbs are there. We proclaim to you, verse 2, and we proclaim to you, verse 3. Everything else is all around that. that we, what we want to do is show you the reality of Christ, the compelling message that Christ has come and that the joy Christ offers is real and authentic. And he says, that's what we're proclaiming to you. Everything in this text supports and undergirds the validity of that first principle that Jesus is and that Jesus is life and joy. That's what it all boils down to. The message of the gospel is that Jesus is God who has become man. The Son of God co-equal with the Father in glory and majesty and holiness and righteousness and eternality. And he came into this world to satisfy the demands of God on our behalf. And so for 33 years, the Gospels record that Jesus rendered a life of perfect obedience to the law of God so that when he died, his death wasn't the wages of his sin like it is for everyone this side of Adam and Eve, but he was able as the innocent sufferer to take our guilt and punishment and take our place on the cross. And so on the cross, the Savior bore our sin and our guilt and the wrath of God on our behalf because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are a lot of sort of, aren't there a lot of sort of like precious sayings of Jesus that we cherish? Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free and we love that. But sometimes I wonder if we kind of scratched our head a little and step back. If Jesus is saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, that cherished, precious little saying is actually Jesus saying, you have built your whole life on lies and you are imprisoned by the lies that you believe. Maybe we don't cherish that so much, but that's the reality of human sin. That's why he had to die on the cross, because we have sinned and even enslaved ourselves by our sin. But when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty of all of our sin. And taking our death, he then rose from the grave because the payment had been made and the victory had been won. And now as the risen Savior, he gives to us eternal life and eternal joy. This is the gospel. 
Now, once you believe the gospel, just look at two more things in verses 3 and 4. Once you believe the gospel, what are the results? Verse 3, fellowship, and verse 4, joy. Verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 3 strikingly talks about salvation, but it uses the terminology of friendship or relationship or fellowship. This is an informative switch of terminology. I think I just said a second ago when He died on the cross, He poured the he bore the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and set free. And that's true. We needed forgiveness. But 1 John 1 verse 3 indicates that forgiveness is not the end. Fellowship is what it's for. I think you understand that. I'm not the only one who... Like, I almost hate to admit this, but it's reality. There, in my family, extended family, there's been seasons when one family member was so hacked at another family member that they didn't, weren't even on speaking terms. I'm not the only family that happened in, am I? And uh, there needed to be reconciliation and forgiveness. But we didn't, need recon we didn't need forgiveness just so that we could say, I forgive you, I forgive you. We needed forgiveness so that we could be in fellowship again, so that, so, so that we could eat pecan pie with bacon on the side and play cornhole and watch football and be together. The forgiveness is for the purpose of the fellowship, and that's what he's saying in verse 3. If you're a Christian, well, yeah, you, you want your sin forgiven, but the reason you want your sin forgiven is because your first principle is that life is found in fellowship with Jesus Christ. I want to get with Him. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. So if you have believed the gospel, then fellowship with God is your greatest treasure. And if you can't say that fellowship with God is your greatest treasure, then you ought to re-examine if, you, if, if you're in the faith. This is, this is what verse 3 is saying, and, and what John goes on to say in the balance of his epistle is to back that up with some tests. Oh, and then wonderfully in verse 4, we're promised joy. This is what it boils down to. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. My joy and your joy may be complete. Let me explain to you another way to understand the difference between a believer and an unbeliever based on this concept of joy or happiness. Uh, when I was an unbeliever, I believed that I could find joy and happiness other places besides Jesus. Once I became a believer, my eyes were open to the fact that joy and life is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Think about joy and happiness or the promise of pleasure and why we give in to sin. Maybe little sins that don't seem like they destroy our life or big sins that would actually totally destroy our life. Why, why do we give in to sin? It's because every time I sin, 
I'm deciding there's some joy, there's some happiness, there's some pleasure, there's something good for me that's outside of the command of God. This is the original lie of the serpent in the original garden. He says to them with his forked tongue, he says to them, God's commandment that you shouldn't eat that tree is keeping you from joy. That's the original lie. When, we become, when you become a believer, then this book, it, it no, and John talks about this in 1 John 5 when he says his commandments are not burdensome. When you become a believer, this book is no longer like a bunch of rules and fences that keep you away from the good stuff. When you become a believer, what you're understanding is God has written this to me. Your first principle is God has written this to me because he wants to guide me into joy that will last forever without regret. That's the reality of conversion, of saving faith. It's the cardinal difference between a first principle of an unbeliever and the first principle of a believer moves on that. Every unbeliever or every believer when he or she strays into sin does so because he or she is convinced that they'll find life, happiness, joy outside of God's ways. Every believer chooses Jesus because he or she has become convinced that in Jesus is real life and real joy. Can't you see that Jesus is true God and true human? Where else would we go to understand God? Where else would you go to understand your own heart but to Jesus? Where else would you go for life and real lasting joy? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we've read and heard your word preached and explained, would you write its truth in our hearts? Where there is resistance, would your sovereign spirit break down the resistance? And where there is blindness, God, as you said, let there be light. Would you bring the light of the gospel to radiate within every heart present here and now, that Jesus Christ may be glorified. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.